Good job, guys. Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to... It's a good one. Let me get let me get situated really quick here. We only got we only got one iPad up here and we're trying to do all kinds of things with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, we are going to jump into our lesson, the path of discipleship. And um this is an interesting this is an interesting uh, idea that I hope resonates with us. And the picture I have here, I'm going to, uh, let's see, if I can click this. Yeah, so it's this, it's this picture here. And it's the idea of uh, this person standing on this road. And it seems pretty simple until you see there, there's another path here going off to the side that doesn't look as nice as the pay, like, or at least somewhat uh, prepared road that's going up. And the idea that we're going to be talking about today is how when we sign up for the Jesus life, when we sign up for the life of discipleship and the life of lordship, this is sometimes what our life can be. Sometimes we're going to have a nice, easy-to-travel path that leads up and away. And then sometimes we have a path that leads like off, and it's not easy, and it's not fun, and it's hard. And so we're going to look at two guys in the Bible. If you want to open your Bible to Acts 6, we're going to stay in Acts, but we're going to look in Acts 6 to begin with. We're going to look at two guys. They started at the exact same place. But their paths, to them, the journey God had them on, their path of discipleship led to very different places. And so that's what we're going to look at. What two guys, you might ask? Well, we're going to look at Stephen and Philip in Acts 6. Now, you may know where where they come in. If you don't, I'm going to explain it to you. Stephen and Philip... Uh, come into the Bible picture as, as main characters in Acts 6 when something was happening in the early church. So the early church, everybody loved each other, everybody got along, everybody was super cool. But culture is a messy thing, guys. I even look out over this, this small crowd. We have so many cultures represented here, and I love it, I value it highly, and yet, if we were to start making a list of all the culture clashes that we've had over the last few years, probably be a pretty extensive list. Even just something as little as, I don't like the way he said that to me. To something as, as big as like, I don't know if I can be around you. Well, in the early church, they were not immune to culture clashes. Even though everybody was Jewish in the beginning of the, of the, the church, everybody Brother and sister, we got along, we could all go to the temple, we could all worship, we could all eat the same foods, except there was this very strange little cultural divide. There were the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews. And what happens is, we call this the widow's food dispute. The the Grecian widows 
we're saying, hey guys, we're not getting the same amount of food in the daily distribution of food, because they did that. We're not getting the same amount of food as the Hebraic Jewish widows. And we feel like we're getting overlooked. Is it because we're from a different culture than, than the, the majority? There was a minority culture, majority culture? And so the apostles were like, oh my gosh, we need to deal with this. So what they did was this. They, brothers and sisters, this is, so this is what Peter and the apostles come together and this is what they try to figure out. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased to the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, men uh, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what happens is, for some cultural context, there's, there's the minority culture that's feeling a little bit overlooked by the, one of the outreach programs. And so they said, you know what? We're actually going to let you guys be in charge of all of this. So, so, so that there's no impropriety, you guys pick some people that you feel good about, wise, full of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to let them oversee. And we trust that you're not going to, you're not going to, make uh, like keep our widows from eating we trust that if we give you control of this you're going to handle it well and so two of the two of the men they picked are Stephen and Philip and this is and so this is like the this is their ministry the the distribution of food program ministry the meals on wheels if you will before there were wheels Um, the meals on wheels program of the first century church Philip and Stephen come into the picture there. The problem is, they don't stay there. And I want you to think about this. In whatever ministry you're at, be it teens or campus or young marrieds or, uh, or me, like I, I was a married guy with kids and I thought that was going to be my ministry, I was going to be in the married ministry, until something happened and, they, and someone said, hey, do you want to, you know, do even more? Do you want to serve more and lead this region of, the, of your church? And I, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a big jump. But, but for all of you, no matter where you're at in life, do you think that where you're at now, that, there, that God has a plan for you that's more, maybe way more in, the, in your service to the saints? And maybe you're like, yes, I know it. I believe it. God has a plan for me. He's got a a path for me forward, and it's going to be awesome. Well, you have to be careful. Yes, he may have a plan for you, and I'm, I'm guessing he does. But it might not always be as awesome as you want it to be. So first, we're going to look at the hardships. Sometimes it's this path. It's the muddy, dirty rutted, like, impossible-to-walk-smoothly path. And God's like, hey, that's where you're going to go. That's your future. And you're like, I don't want to do that, God. Give me the nice path that leads up and to, to something more glor- like honorable. But the reality is that sometimes the path of discipleship is not fun. Sometimes God asks us to go down darker paths, 
But then what do we say? Do we say no? No, thanks, God, I'm good. Do we only choose to walk in the ways that we're comfortable? I think about the cars. I don't know, they don't even use these cars. Like, all, like our kids that have gone through driver's training, they don't use the cars that have two steering wheels. But does anyone remember the cars that had like the driver's instructor had his own brake and his own steering wheel? That's how little they trusted us. And, and we're like that on our life with God. Is that we're like, God, you're in control. I surrender. You're, you know, Jesus is Lord. But man, if I don't like where it's going, I'm going to pull the wheel. If we're only along for the ride, but we choose our own direction, then it begs the question, who is really Lord of our life? So let's look at Stephen. Let's look at the path of Stephen. Now Stephen... A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so the glimpse is that he's doing his ministry. His ministry is... He's going around from house to house feeding the widows. And so he's a public figure because he's visible. He's always out. And there's people that no one is going to take care of. And he's like, I'm going to take care of you. And he, he's visible. He's seen by other people. And the spirit is like, you're going to stand out, dude. And so when people come and ask him questions, the spirit gives them this wisdom that they just can't stand up against. It's amazing. And you might be like, that's what I, I want this part of Stephen's journey. I want people to come up and I debate them so well that I shut them down. I drop the mic and I walk away and everyone's like, oh, Stephen's awesome. I want them to say that about me. But that's not where this ends. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders, and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. And so he's, he's framed, basically. And uh, they drag him out, and they, they, they make him like, defend himself, and Stephen does the most incredible thing. We're not going to read the whole thing. We could do literally a week, like a month long of series sermons on just Stephen's sermon. Because he's like, oh, you want, me to, you want me to say some stuff? I got some stuff to say, guys. And he comes before the people and he basically launches into an entire history of Israel. And he goes forward and he, he brings it right up to Jesus. And this is, we're going to skip to the end. This is what he says. You stiff-necked people! Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. And now, you might be thinking... That sounds 
awesome. Like he just got up and he just like owned them in the public square. And yeah, you could say he did. But this is what happened. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And so Stephen, one of the first martyrs, of the Christian faith, was killed for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he started as the Meals on Wheels guy. He started as, hey, do the widows need help? I'll help. And he stepped up, and it put him in front of some eyeballs, and it made people take notice of him. And he did what the Spirit prompted him to do, which was continue to talk about Jesus, even up to the point of, you have to to assume, like, he's probably like, if I'm going out, I'm going out talking about Jesus. And at any point, he could have dialed it back. He could have been like, oh, you know, I mean, like, you're fine, I'm fine, everybody's cool. He's like, you stiff-necked people. Your ancestors killed the prophets and you killed Jesus. And so this is what he got. Now you want, in, you know, you want like to do the right thing and be rewarded for it. You want to stand firm in your faith and avoid danger. And yet what's the reality? He was dragged out of the city and stoned to death. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Who cares what you think is fair? <laughs> When was that ever promised? Guys, this is, the hard, this is the hard path of discipleship. Some of you will be called to endure great hardships. The question, though, is will, will you endure? Over the years, I've seen strong, spiritual brothers and sisters, both in, in everywhere I've lived, but specifically where we came from and where we are now, some of you suffered disease, the loss of loved ones. We've, we've helped people through miscarriages, financial distress, financial ruin, fire, flood, job loss, theft, abuse. Even in India, which always puts me to shame. We met disciples who were beaten for their faith, abducted, kidnapped, literally kidnapped, locked away by their own families, imprisoned, lost everything for becoming Christians. There's one brother who was really amazing who was a victim of an acid attack. He had acid thrown in his face by his friends because he wanted to follow Jesus. And sometimes we want to say, God, save me from this hour. I don't know if I've, ever, if I've ever shared this with you guys. Save me from this hour. And there's a spirituality to that. Because we can be like, I'm, I'm begging God to be my 
refuge and my you know, tower and my strength and my shield. God, save me from this hour. With an exclamation point at the end and a crack in our voice and maybe a tear rolling down our face. Save me from this hour. And you know what's crazy? Is that Jesus said these exact same words, except he said them in a very different way. Jesus phrased them in the form of a question. Shall I say, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came. John 12, 27. At the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus walked down a path of hardship. And he was present enough in his mind to know, like, I know what my flesh is telling me. Beg God to escape. And yet, I'm in my right mind, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this now while I still can. Do you want me to say, God, get me out of here? I'm telling you, no, this is why I came. And I have to ask myself this question a lot of the times. When I say, because I say, save me from this hour all the time, do I have an exclamation point or a question mark? Do I say, no, maybe this is what the path God has for me is. And so, Stephen did nothing wrong. His, his path of hardship was not a, a direct consequence of mistakes he made, or he wasn't foolish, he wasn't stupid. He, he saw, this is, this is my path. I'm on this. Now, there's going to be times where your life gets very hard, and this takes a lot of wisdom and a lot of good relationships, guys. Your life is going to be very hard, and you're going to think, oh, I'm being persecuted for my beliefs, or God is giving me his toughest trials. And God's like, no, you made a dumb choice, and this is the consequence of your choices, so now your life is harder. And so we have to be wise enough to be able to discern. And that's why I think having friends in your life. Like, is, is the bank coming for my house because God wants me to endure foreclosure to test me? It's like, no, the bank is coming for your house because you stopped paying your mortgage. Like, it... Like, oh, my, my cell phone got shut off. They're persecuting me for my faith. No, they're not. You just stop paying your bills and they shut your phone off. Like, that's, how, that's the way life works. But there are going to be times where your life is going to be hard because you are on the path of, of discipleship that is hard. And so the question is, some will be called to endure, will you endure? I love this. Someone told me this years ago, and it's always been in the back of my brain. All will suffer, but not all will suffer well. And so I can look every single person here in the eye and say, if you haven't suffered yet, you will. If we went around and said, show me a show of hands. Who here has suffered in life? There'd be a lot of hands going up, people. But not all will suffer well. What do I mean by that? Frederick William Faber, he was a, a British poet about 150 years ago. He wrote a really cool poem. It was turned into a hymn called Workmen of, Workmen of God, O Lose Not Heart. And there's one section that always stands out to me. This is what he says. Then learn to scorn the praise of men and learn to lose with God. For Jesus won the world through shame and beckons thee his road. Man, we want the victorious, honorable path. 
We want the, we want the path that leads up in a way to, to like glory. But that's not the road. That's not the road Jesus had, so why is that the road you deserve? Will you endure? But that's not the only road. <laughs> it's not, that's not, I can't, I'm not going to say, hey, if you sign up for a life of discipleship, get ready. It's only going to be hard all the time. It's never going to be good. It's not, that's not true. But there's another path that we see in the story of Stephen and Philip. And this is the story of Philip. This is the story of someone who was sent away. So let's read about Stephen. Sorry, did I say Philip? Stephen. Oh yes, because Stephen's dead now. Sorry. I'm going to get that mixed up all throughout the sermon. Let's read in Acts 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. So Stephen died, and that was seen as like a, all right, we killed this guy. Let's just do a a full court press and just like push all these Christians out and away. Get, Get rid of them. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now here's what's interesting. Philip was not planning on leaving Jerusalem. It was never in his, like, I, I know how I'm going to, I know what my life of discipleship is going to look like. It was stay here and help out with the widows. Just do my ministry. And yet, because of, of Philip, Stephen dying, Philip experienced this new thing, which was this mass persecution. And it says, everybody, except the apostles, everybody was scattered. And what did they do wherever they landed? They were a disciple of Jesus. They lived the Jesus life. I'll live the Jesus life here. I'm going to go over here. Even if you're chasing me out of the city, I'm going to live the Jesus life here. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. It wasn't in their agenda to be scattered, but they saw it as part of the life of a disciple. And they took their discipleship with them. Now here's how it goes. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. And it goes on from there, but I want to stop it here. So Philip, he is told, uh, hey, Like, thank you for preaching the word down here in Samaria. I'm going to send you south. Just get on that road and just walk. Walk south. And he does. And he's walking, and all of a sudden he sees a chariot 
Right? And I'm sure, now, we think of this like a guy in a chariot. This was probably an entourage, like a royal entourage. And the queen from Ethiopia let him come and go and worship and come back. And we're assuming it's on the way back somewhere that he stops and Philip has this interaction with him. And he says, he, he's, he, and the Spirit says, go up to that chariot. And he goes up and he hears him reading the book of Isaiah. And he's like, oh, opportunity. I can, this is what I'm good at. And so the last, the last one, hardship, was general. This is a little bit more specific. Go to this place, talk to this person. And both journeys had an impact on everybody involved and for the rest of history. Stephen's impact was, Paul carried that around for a long time. Saul was there killing Stephen. He became Paul. Started the persecution that sent everyone. Philip goes out and he basically is the thing that evangelizes the entire continent of Africa through the Kandake, which is uh, the queen. It's a title. It's not a name, if you're interested, but uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And so they talk, and he does, he follows the spirit. The spirit said, go, and he went. The spirit said, talk to that guy, and he did. And there's not a lot of details I mean, this is it. This is the story. The guy says, how, how can I understand this if no one explains it to me? He says, I can explain it to you. It's talking about Jesus. And he, he explains it. He got, talks us through the prophets and then up to Jesus, and he explains what happened. And the guy's like, hey, can I get baptized right here? There's a, like a, a, a puddle or a pond or something. And the guy's like, yeah, let's do it. And then Stephen leaves, and, or Philip leaves, and, uh, and that's it. That's the whole story. He was told to go, he went, and then things were revealed on the way. And this is important. Because he was in Samaria doing his thing, and the Spirit said, hey, just walk south on that road right there. Just go. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And he just starts going. But we are so the opposite of that, in that we need all the facts, and all, we're gonna, we're gonna, filter all the the factors before we make a decision. We need all the details up front before we decide whether or not we're going to obey the Spirit's prompting. And so here's here's a question. Some are going to be called to go, like, like Stephen. I mean, Philip. Gosh, guys, I'm going to, I'm, we're only, I'm not done yet. We're still going to mess that up more. Like Philip, we are going to be called to go. The Spirit's going to prompt us. And it could be go to another city. It could be go, it could be go up to that person and offer help. In the past, we've talked about budgeting time, budgeting money, budgeting energy, budgeting health, gleaning to the edges. We've talked about a life of adventure. And you may say, yes, I want an adventurous life. But then God gives us our request, and we go, well, not that way, God, no. Never mind. Like, I'll wait until you have a, like, a more palatable adventure for me. 
One that's fun, but not actually has, doesn't have any actual risk involved. For some, the path of discipleship will be the path that takes you away. But that should just mean that you can be the blessing to the place where you go. If you are still living the Jesus life. If you're still following the path of discipleship. Grand Rapids has actually been the recipient of that blessing many times over. I think about just the people that I know that have moved here. That didn't, their journey, their journey of the path of discipleship started elsewhere, but brought them here. Even people I see sitting right here. Let's start with me and Jen and Evan Freddie. We moved here. Uman and Pam, Michael and Melissa, they moved here. Phil and Pat Moore, they were with us in Detroit. They moved here. And some of you guys are like, who's that? You missed out. They, they, they moved and then they moved on. I think about Steve and Wendy with Caleb, Josh, and Cooper, Otha and Cynthia, Gary and Angie with Elliot, Lynette, and Glenn. I'm going to go through all of them, guys. Walter and Sonia with Joshua, Ricardo and Sharon with Christina and Peter, Andre and Joy with Lance, Austin, and Ruby, Simon moved here, Rachel, Tyson, Lauren, Courtney and Alex, Gates and Chantel, Emily and Jacob. That's not even everybody. Now Tom and Lori are moving here. Josh and Katie are moving here. We might even get another couple. Patrick and Morgan are moving here. But, here, but think about this. If you want your path of discipleship, if you want the Jesus life to stay in one place and be comfy and never go anywhere, none of those people would be here. We never would have, we never would have benefited from the blessing that everybody's paths just happen to converge here at this time. But it also means that people will move on. And that's a loss. And that's okay to say that it hurts and it's a loss. I think about, we were in Detroit, 2008, 2009, recession, the auto industry. Seeing some of our dearest friends who thought I'm, I'm in the auto industry in Detroit. Like, I'll be here forever until I retire. And the very next year, they're gone. And they're just like, whoosh, my job was eliminated. There's one brother who's like one of my spiritual heroes, Alan. He worked for Roush. I don't know if anybody knows who Roush is, but they were a, they're a, 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 you know, a tertiary you know, provider for Ford. And he was a manager. And, and during the, the recession... It got hard. And every day he'd show, every Monday, he'd show up, he'd have a meeting with his boss, and his boss would be like, here's five people you need to fire this week. And he would do it. And he hated every single minute of that. And then he'd go home, and he would talk to people that he loved and trusted. And then he'd go back next Monday, and he'd have a meeting with his boss, and he'd say, here's more, five more people. You've got to fire these people this week. And it happened for so long, it was really wearing him down. And then one day... He, didn't, he, he got a list, but then he had a meeting on Friday, and they're like, Alan, we got to let you go. And he's like, thank God, I hate it here. And so he moved on, and he went to, you know, Maryland, and now they're in Texas, and they're blessing the lives of people everywhere they go. But whenever anyone leaves, it's a loss. Why am I saying all this? The point isn't, do you stay or do you go? The point is, do you listen to the Spirit? And do you follow the promptings of the Jesus life? 
When God has determined that our path is one that takes us away, do we go away and go away faithfully and bless the lives of people we see there? Because that's what Stephen did. He says, oh, I'm being chased out of the city. It would be very easy for him to be like, well, this Christian thing is done then. This Jesus church community thing is done then. And he's like, no, it's never done. I'm just going to do what I was doing here. I'm just going to go over to Samaria and do it there. Oh, the Spirit told me to go south on the road? Guess I'm going to go there. Oh, there's a guy? I guess I'm going to talk about Jesus to him. The path of discipleship will include some scattering. And while it can seem volatile, your life is actually usually better off for it. If you stay faithful. I got one last thing. Sorry, I'm going a little long. The freedom. Some of us are called to endure. Some of us are called to go. Like, like Philip and Stephen. But all of us are called to a life of freedom. I want to read this in Acts 13. This is Paul, the same guy who killed Stephen. I don't know what that's doing. Okay. The same guy who killed Stephen became one of the most amazing Christians and preached this sermon. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. I'm just going to read it up there. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Paul says, this isn't just for some. The life of discipleship is going to look different for different people. That is true. But one thing that is constant for every disciple of Jesus is the freedom that comes in Christ. And so all are called to freedom. Everybody. But the same question follows that as the life of hardship and the life of of going. Will you respond to that? Will you respond to this gift? Not every disciple is going to be called to great hardships. Not every disciple is going to be called to go and you know, preach the word in foreign lands. But every disciple is given the opportunity to be set free from slavery to sin. And I mean, the, the reality is, if, especially if you're visiting, you might be like, this is a little bit of a downer. <laughs> I, I really want to question you. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? While the path of discipleship comes with a lot of things we don't get to pick for ourselves, this is the game changer that we actually do. God is eagerly awaiting to give this to us. God looks at you like his precious child. And he hates to see you trapped in destructive patterns and behaviors and cycles. The Bible calls that being a slave to sin. And God wants to free you from that. 
So you can ask someone. If you don't know, hey, does the Bible have a, have a way to rescue people from an empty way of life? Spoiler alert, it does. Some of you guys may have been a Christian for a long time. And I don't know if you remember, we did the, we did the lesson on the zombie Christians. Where you died to yourself once, and then you reanimated yourself. And you're like, I'm going to surrender control of my life over to Jesus. And then at some point, I'm going to be like, mm, I'll take that back now. Thank you for my young years where I was fired up and I was super sacrificial. But now I think I'll be in charge of my own life. Except my experience is that whenever I do that, I actually feel less and less safe when I wrestle for control. The more I try to dictate the terms of my freedom, the less free I feel. It stinks that that's so true spiritually. Here's the paradox of lordship. We find freedom in surrender, and we find slavery in the fight for control. This is why we talked about this, I think, on Wednesday. There is, there is like an illogical part to the Christian life. You're like, man, it should, I wish I could, I could make this an elevator pitch that's very easy to sell in 30 seconds, but I can't. Because the reality is, it's a paradox. If you think you're going to run your life, there's a chance that you're just going further and further into slavery to sin. And the only way to find true freedom is to surrender all control. We find freedom and surrender, and we find slavery in the fight for control. It's a paradox that can't be easily explained, and it can't even be easily believed. It really requires stepping out on faith, living the Jesus life, living the life of discipleship. And then when you live in that, when you live in lordship, you're like, wow, I don't know why it makes sense, but it's true. And I'll tell you this. It also helps if you have strong spiritual people around you that love you. And so we're going to end it here before we take communion. Sometimes we can read the book of Acts and we can think that we're reading like the, the annals of history. Like these are the, the, the tall tales of the most spiritual people that ever lived. These are the superheroes of the faith. They did things I could never do. These people had faith far beyond mine. They, they could do things. They're so amazing. We're not reading the grand tales of spiritual superheroes. We need to understand that when we read the book of Acts, we're simply reading what happens when ordinary disciples rely on an extraordinary God. But do we believe that? Do we believe that we can live that powerful life? Amen. That is all I have for you guys. At this time, uh, I've asked Chantel to do our communion message this morning. So come on up, Chantel.